This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Undeserved Grace, and it comes from 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 22. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tire rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talking, P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talking is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Now your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll start in the 24th chapter, and we'll start with verse 1. But before we do that, let me ask you this. Has anyone ever hurt you? And when they do, don't you naturally just want to strike back? When someone does evil against you, your natural instinct is to seek revenge. However, God doesn't want us to live in that natural response. He wants us to live in the supernatural. Well, in this chapter today, we see how David gave that undeserved grace to Saul. Saul has been chasing him since about the 18th chapter and trying to kill him. And in chapter 23, we saw if it had been for the Philistines attacking and Saul was about to come in and capture David, probably would have been immediate death, but he had to run and take care of the Philistines. Today, though, we'll see that Saul chases back after him again, once again trying to catch him and kill him. And yet, David has an opportunity to take Saul's life, and he doesn't do it. If you use this chapter as an analogy, we're just all like Saul. We deserve death just like Saul deserved death, and David could have taken it. But guess what? That's not what the gospel did. Just like David gave him grace... God gave us grace. He sent his son. We just celebrated his birthday. And now we can start looking towards Easter where he went to the cross and he died for us. We deserve that death, but he took our place. He was our substitute. And even though we see the picture of God's grace and his mercy on us, even this chapter doesn't do justice because David doesn't die. Jesus went to the cross and died. But we do see the grace that is passed on from David to Saul. So let's jump right in. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out the ESV. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. 
Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat rocks. And as he came to the sheepfold by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day in which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as you seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards David's heart struck him, because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord that the Lord anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, who did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And we'll stop right there for now. This is a very interesting story. David is hiding in the cave. Saul is grabbing 3,000 men. They're trying to find him. They're going to catch him and kill him. And then by chance, or what I would say predefined destiny, Saul ends up going into the cave to relieve himself. That's what the Bible says. And David's hiding in that cave with his men. David ends up cutting off the edge of Saul's robe. Now Saul finally leaves, and then David runs out to him. So the first thing what you see is that David spares King Saul's life. And that's really important, too, because, again, he had the opportunity. Even his men are telling him to kill him, but yet he doesn't do it. He said, this is God's anointed. God put him into office and God will take him out of office. And so I'm not the one that's going to do that. I'll let God do that. And as I started out this lesson, this is a picture of the gospel. Saul is a sinner deserving death. David has the capacity and the opportunity to kill him, but David gives him grace. Even though he doesn't deserve it, Saul is spared. Saul deserves death. He would not have given that same grace to David. Now in verse 3 it says that Saul came to the sheepfold by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs or to relieve himself. Now, you may not know this, but a sheepfold indicates that this cave was big enough to shelter a flock of sheep. And so that's why David and his 600 men could hide in this cave and not be seen even when Saul goes in. And then we see just the detail that the Bible gives us. It's a real book. I mean, it goes and says that Saul went in to attend his needs. But more importantly, because he went in to attend his needs, it means that he went into the cave alone. His soldiers and bodyguards were outside the cave waiting on him to return. And so he goes into the very cave where David and his men are staying. And guess what? What a chance of that happening. Saul is attending to his personal needs as he's passing after to chase David. But he goes into the cave, the very cave that David and his men are hiding. But I want you to understand that there are no coincidences. They are arranged by God, and this is to test David. This is to train David, and this is also to display David's godly heart. But look what his men say to him. This is the day which the Lord said, Behold, I will deliver your enemy in your hand, that you may do to him as you please. In other words, they say, The Lord has given him to you to kill. Go ahead and take it. Cut his throat. Also, we don't know what kind of heart these other men had, but they knew it was no coincidence either. They said God has given him to us. Saul came alone into this cave at this very moment for the opportunity for you to kill him. 
I can't even imagine what's going through David's heart. I know his heart's got to be racing, it's pounding, as he's creeping quietly towards Saul. He's covered in the darkness of the cave. i got to imagine that he's breathing a little faster than he normally would have. His men are behind him excited. They know what's about to happen. They are about to become friends and associates of the new king of Israel. And David comes so close to Saul that he takes his sword and he's able to cut off the corner of his robe. To be able to cut off the corner of a robe means that he could have easily slit his throat. He could have stuck a sword right down his neck. He could have hit him right through the heart. He could have easily killed Saul. As I was studying this lesson, I had to ask the question, how could David be so close without being detected? Well, a couple of things of what the commentators say is that there's probably 3,000 men outside. That's what the Bible tells us. So there's a lot of noise going on on the outside. Saul's focused on that noise and what's going on. He's not worried about behind him because this cave is quiet and it's dark. So David's able to sneak up. Second thing is he may have laid his robe down. So he wasn't quite that close, but he's close enough that Saul would have put his robe down while he relieved himself and then he picked it back up. But while he had it down, David was able to cut the corner. But look what it says in verse 5. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. The New Living Translation says, Then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. Wait, what? David gets a guilty conscience because he cut off the corner of the robe? Well, you have to understand his heart was troubled because the robe was a symbol of Saul's royal authority. And David feels bad that he has tarnished that symbol of authority. But if his heart bothered him for just cutting the robe, can you imagine what it would have been like if he had killed Saul? He goes on right here in verse 6 and 7 to say that the Lord forbid me that I should do this to the master, the Lord's anointed. I can't kill the Lord's anointed. That's God's power. That's his authority. And God will raise up and take down as he sees fit. Well, let's continue in this story with verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Afterwards, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand in the cave. And someone told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in your hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or no treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. And as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes the wickedness, but out of my hand shall be none against you. After whom the king of Israel comes out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So what happens as Saul leaves the cave, David roughly follows him down. And David says, wait a minute, Saul. But I want you to notice how humble and how respectful, but how passionate David is. And he speaks the truth about the situation. He tells him, he says, my lord, the king. 
And then he bows, what, with his face down to the ground, expressing his humility and his respect for the king. Even though the king's trying to kill him, he's still showing humility and respect. David tells Saul how he refused to harm him, even though his men behind him urged him to do so, even though that God had given him over to his hand. And notice, even though Samuel has said that the anointing has left Saul, David still honors the anointing that was given to Saul. He tells him that you are the Lord's anointed, and I will not lift a hand against you. David even calls him father. You might go, well, Tim, why is he doing that? Well, I think that's because it's, he's his son-in-law. And so he's showing that he's part of the family. There's a relationship. And so he's calling him father. He's showing the tie there together. And he says, I have not created treason against you. I had the opportunity, but I didn't. Whatever people are telling you that I'm trying to kill you and take your throne is not the case. Here's an example of me not trying to take your throne. Why are you trying to kill me is roughly what he's saying to Saul. In the book of Romans, which we studied in Romans 12:18, Paul wrote, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul is saying to the church at Rome is that with you, you make the choice to live peacefully. David tells him a couple of things to reconcile. One is don't listen to the lies of other. I'm telling you the truth. I'm showing you the truth right now. And this shows you that I won't stretch out my hand. I won't try to, to hurt you in any way. You are the king and I am a servant of you. And then he finishes reminding Saul who should be the judge. And that should be, let the Lord be judge. See, David's telling Saul, I'm still trusting God, that he's going to deliver me out of your hand. Instead of finding a way out of this trial in the flesh, David did the harder thing. He trusted in God to deliver him when he's just exposed himself to Saul. He has now opened the door that he could be taken right this minute, but he's putting his trust in God and he finishes with that. So now let's look at Saul's reaction to what David said to him. Look at verse 16 with me. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. You have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy... Will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul. Then Saul went home and David and his men went up into the stronghold. First thing we see is that Saul responds emotionally because Saul knows that David could have killed him. Because David refused to kill Saul, though, it proved that everything that had been said about David in front of 3,000 men was no longer true. It was all false. David's obedience to God and his love to Saul made all the difference in solving the heart problem that Saul had. Now, we know that Saul's going to keep chasing and trying to kill him. But because of what he does right here in front of 3,000 men, it makes Saul's heart soften for a moment. But then Saul really speaks from his heart because he's so emotional and he says, I know indeed that you shall surely be king. Saul knew it all along. He saw God's anointing on David and he saw how God blessed David. 
But now he really knows that God is truly behind him and that he will be king, and he admits that. And then we see that Saul really knows this because what does he ask of David? He says, swear to me that you know that the Lord will not cut off descendants after me because what was the trend back then when a new royal came into power? They would kill off all the replacements that were around. That means all of Saul's children and grandchildren and cousins and nephews. David would have to kill them all. And he says, I won't do that. We see that at the very end. But after he responds and says, I won't do that, we say that Saul goes home. And then David and his men go up to the stronghold. They didn't go back home with Saul. Why? Because he knew that what Saul said he meant for that moment, but that the struggle would still be in place. And that is another thing that we see so many times. People repent. They claim to recognize their sinful ways, just like Saul did. But the validity of their repentance their changed heart isn't demonstrated, but the motion was all that happened. It was an emotional moment. There was no heart change. See, when we truly reach out to Jesus, and when Jesus touches us, we are changed. You go throughout the Bible, you see that time after time after time. Too many times people have an emotional conversation, but there is no heart change. There is no life change. There's a couple of things I want you to see about this story in the Bible because it truly is a picture of the gospel to us. First of all, we're all Saul. We've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. That's what Romans tells us. There's not one good among us. No, not even one. All have sinned. That means all, not some, not most. It means everyone has sinned and fallen short. So Saul, if he had died, would have been getting his just reward. The plot of killing him would have been justified, and he deserved death. As a matter of fact, society, just like his men, say that all the time. You get what you deserve. You do evil with evil. You treat evil with evil. You kill evil. If you don't kill evil, you will die. But that's not the heart of David. Even though the world is saying, look at Saul, how evil he is. Kill that guy. He deserves it. Jesus says that none of us should die. We are all Saul's. We all deserve death, but God, who is rich in mercy, forgave us in Christ. Romans 9.22 What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand or glory? That's a mouthful right there, Romans 9.22 and 23. What it's saying is that God had a wrath against us. We were objects of God's wrath. We upset God. He was upset with our sin, and he was upset with how we're living. But because he loves us, he shows us mercy. He sent Jesus to forgive us of our sin. He made a way of escape, a way to get back to him. Ephesians 2.5 says that even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ yet died for us. We were dead. We were unable to save ourselves. And God sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. But it's through this saving that saves us from the penalty of sin, but also that we can stand before God through Jesus' righteousness. His blood covers us. And when we stand before God and we've accepted the righteousness of Jesus and he's forgiven us of our sin, all God sees is Jesus. 
because his, his blood has covered and washed away our sin. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we are immediately perfect and we will never sin. No, we are, have a human body and we are made of flesh and we will sin. We should not try to sin. We shouldn't openly go into sin. But there are times that we're going to mess up and we're going to sin. But God's blood covers us if we'll just ask for forgiveness. I love the way Ephesians 2.1 says, it says, And he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. God made us alive through his son when we accept him. And the very act that all this happens, Paul covered in Romans 5.10, where he says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It is through Jesus Christ that we're made whole. Our sins are forgiven and our relationship is restored. See, there is a chasm of sin between us and God. And we can't get back to God except by taking the cross and laying it over that chasm. And that means accepting Jesus, accepting the cross and walking through the cross back to God. Well, if God's done all this for us, then how should we live? Well, first of all, we shouldn't live in sin. You know, the freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. Too many times we don't run from sin. We don't have a freedom to sin because of God's grace. Well, you might ask, well, then, Tim, will a sin keep me out of heaven? I don't think so. But we should be working towards holiness. We should be trying to be more like Jesus Christ every day. We should be honoring God's commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we studied the book of Peter, 2 Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blemish. That scripture is very clear. When we're forgiven from sin, we should try to stop sinning. We should turn from sin. A part of repentance is asking for forgiveness. Saul did that, but Saul didn't turn from trying to kill David. We'll see that Saul doesn't turn from the sin. He's just sorry or emotional at that time. So how should we live? First, don't live in sin. Second, give God everything. What we see from this lesson is really Saul should have said, David, you have shown me mercy. And so I don't deserve. I'm broken. I'm wrong. You deserve to be king. You're truly anointed. God wants you to be king. I'm stepping down. You've shown me you need to lead me. I don't need to be leading you. Jesus told us in Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Saul needed to take up his cross. He didn't do it. Are you turning from your sin? And are you giving everything to God? Is God master? Is he Lord of all? Or is he Lord of most? Unfortunately, our churches are filled with people where he is Lord of most. But the Bible tells us he wants to be Lord of all. And that is part of that denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him, making him Lord. And then we are to love everyone. That's how we're supposed to live. You know, again, this is not our nature. Our nature is not to love everyone. But part of being saved is that we love others. We love others like Jesus loved others. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love who? God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves, we take care of ourselves, but do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Paul reminded the church at Galatia, 
5.14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4.8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It doesn't matter who it is, what they've done, you have to love them. Why? Because God loved you when you were despicable, when you were nothing, when you were against God. When you walked in spiritual death, God loved you, and we're to be like God, and so we are to love others. We should love everyone, even the unlovable, and we all know that person. You know, Saul wasn't lovable. He's trying to kill David, but David showed love. David loved him because God was inside of him. And then last, we have to forgive everyone. Forgiveness is different than restoration. When we truly forgive someone, it doesn't mean that we're restored with them because they may not forgive you back. But we are to forgive everyone. And when we do that, we have a clean heart. We have a pure heart. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgave you, so you also must do. Christ forgave us. We need to forgive others. We need to forgive you can't be in a relation with someone that you won't forgive. There's a part of resentment. There's a part of hatefulness. Even though Saul had a moment of weakness, a moment of emotion where he's in tears as he speaks to David, he still doesn't have the change of heart. He doesn't forgive David of his fear of taking over the kingdom. When it comes to this forgiveness thing, I'm telling you, Jesus spoke about it a pretty good bit. In Matthew 6, 14, 15, he says, for, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is saying here is that you can't have salvation if you can't forgive others. You don't understand mercy and grace if you can't give mercy and grace. Jesus is saying that you will get mercy and grace when you model and understand what it truly is. And how can you receive something that you don't understand? So how should we live? We don't live in sin. We run from sin. We let God be Lord of all. And we love everyone, no matter of their ethnic background, no matter of their education, no matter what they look like. We love everyone. And more than that, we forgive everyone, just as the Father has forgiven us. We've got to be able to do those four things if we truly want to be like David and show and see that we are saved. I don't know about you, but today this lesson has really struck a spot in my heart. There's areas that I need to work on. But what I can tell you is you will never regret returning good for evil. I don't think David regretted not taking Saul's life, returning good for evil. You know, the old saying goes that revenge is sweet, but really it's not. It's a bitter pill, and it only makes you miserable. It only breeds more hurt and evil in this world. David returned good for evil when Saul was trying to kill him. I don't know what resentment you may be holding today. I don't know who you may not love today. I don't know who you've not forgiven today. What I can tell you is that I don't think they tried to kill you like Saul did, yet we see David gave forgiveness. He loved Saul, and he went away from evil. Return good for evil. That's not easy to do. In fact, it's impossible in our natural flesh. We can only do it through the Holy Spirit. So will you ask God today to help you return good for evil, to respond in a supernatural way? Will you take whatever you've not given to God and lay it at his feet today? 
Will you forgive someone that you've not forgiven? You said you have, but deep down inside, you've not forgiven them. They hurt you. Now you need to give that hurt to Jesus so that he can help heal that and you can go have a restoration and a forgiveness conversation with that person. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time today. Lord, this is a tough lesson. Lord, we don't naturally forgive people. Your word teaches us how we should live. It teaches us that we don't live in sin, that we try to live a holy life. Your word teaches us that we are to allow you to be Lord of all, that You are truly Lord, but sometimes we try to do it our way. We try to put you into our plan. Lord, your word teaches us that we're to love everyone, and some people are hard to love. Lord, I pray today, as you're knocking on hearts, as there's that person that is supposed to forgive that hasn't forgiven, Lord, that you will help them today. Lord, that person needs your help. If they could have done it in their own strength, they would have already done it but they're not able to. The hurt's too deep. They need you to help restore them so that they can walk through your word and ask that person and forgive them. Even if they haven't asked for forgiveness, they can go up and forgive that person. Lord, there are some that need just to help loving everyone. There are some that are easy to love and they like to be around them and they take care of them. But your word tells us that we love our neighbor, everyone. We have to love everyone. Lord, I pray today that those that are struggling, not loving everyone, that they will lay that at your feet. And Lord, that there's one I feel deep down inside that's like Saul. He's living in sin. They may have asked you to be Lord of their life. They may have been saved at some time, but they are openly living in sin. Lord, I pray right now that you will convict them of that sin, Lord, and they will give it back to you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we start off this new year. I pray, Lord, that you will just bless each and every one that is listening. Lord, that they will have a blessed year in 2022. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. It's in your name we ask all this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.